Welcome to Music History Monday for May 30th, 2022. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Benjamin Britten's War Requiem. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the premiere performance on May 30th, 1962, 60 years ago today, of Benjamin Britten's War Requiem. Completed in early 1962, the War Requiem was commissioned to mark the consecration of the new Coventry Cathedral, which was built to replace the original 14th century cathedral that had been destroyed on the evening and night of November 14 and 15, 1940. Today's post will deal entirely with the events that led up to the composition of Britain's War Requiem, the destruction of Coventry's Cathedral of St. Michael, the extraordinary spirit of forgiveness and redemption that came to be identified with its ruins, and the new cathedral that was built between 1956 and 1962. We cannot appreciate the meaning and spirit of Britain's War Requiem unless we first come to grips with the meaning and spirit of the destruction and rebirth of Coventry Cathedral. Tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post will get into the specifics of the Requiem itself, along with a recommended recording of the piece. Coventry and its Cathedral Coventry is a city in the West Midlands of England, 95 miles northwest of London. Founded by the Romans, by the 14th century, Coventry had become a major center of England's fabric trade. The cloth makers of Coventry were particularly famous for a blue fabric called Coventry Blue. So permanent was the color that it led to the coining of the phrases, as true as Coventry Blue, or in short, true blue. Such was the wealth of the city that during the late 14th century, a magnificent church was built in the St. Michael district of the city center using red sandstone quarried in nearby Staffordshire. The Church of St. Michael, at 293 feet in length, 140 feet in width, with a floor area of over 24,000 square feet and featuring a towering spire 295 feet high, was the largest parish church in all of England. In 1918, this Church of St. Michael was given cathedral status and consequently became known as Coventry Cathedral. Bad Tidings The Nazi terror bombing of British cities and the civilian populations in them began on September 7, 1940 and continued until May 11, 1941, an event collectively known as the Blitz. All told, over 43,000 civilians died in the Blitz. Over 1.1 million homes and flats were damaged or destroyed nationwide. Here's a harrowing statistic. One of every six Londoners was, at some point during the Blitz, rendered homeless. 
Among the very hardest hit cities was the West Midlands industrial city of Coventry. The first German bombs fell on Coventry in June of 1940. Between August 18th and late October 1940, Coventry was attacked 17 times. During that time, according to Norman Longmate, writing in his book, Air Raid, The Bombing of Coventry, 1940, published by Hutchinson of London, 1976, quote, 198 tons of bombs were dropped, made up of 938 high explosives and 8,400 incendiaries, and the damage done and casualties caused were formidable. The latter amounted to 176 dead, 229 badly injured, and 451 minor injuries treated at first aid posts." Unquote. Yes, indeed, these casualty figures might very well have appeared formidable, at least until the night of November 14th and 15th, 1940. That was the night that the Luftwaffe staged a massive raid on Coventry, a raid codenamed Operation Moonlight Sonata, for which we ask, why drag poor Beethoven to this, right? At 7.10 p.m. on the evening of November 14th, the air raid sirens around Coventry signaled air raid message red, the signal that an attack was imminent. The first bombs began to drop on this best preserved of all medieval English cities just a few minutes later. They were primarily incendiaries, interspersed with the occasional high explosive or HE bombs. The HEs were intended to blow out windows and doors in order to allow the fires started by the incendiary bombs to spread more easily, as well as to force firemen to seek shelter. It was the tried and true method for creating a firestorm, and it worked to perfection on the ancient timbered buildings in Coventry's old city center. Norman Longmate writes, quote, Right at the center of the historic heart of Coventry was its chief architectural treasure, the cathedral. Defending it that night was a four-man team who had assembled as usual at seven o'clock to find the cathedral roof slippery and white from frost and with the bright light of the full moon reflected on the lead. In charge was Provost Howard, who at 56 was already so well known in Coventry that his title, Provost, had come to be used almost as a Christian name. With Provost Howard were, and we quote the Provost now, two young men in their early twenties and a skilled stonemason who was familiar with every inch of the cathedral." Unquote. That would be Jock Forbes, who was the cathedral's resident mason. For nearly an hour, this little group saw from their vantage point the horizon ringed with a huge semicircle of light. And then their own ordeal began. Provost Howard remembered, quote, Towards eight o'clock, the first incendiaries struck the cathedral. One fell on the roof of the chancel towards the east end. Another fell right through the floor beneath the pews at the head of the nave, near the lectern. Another struck the roof on the south side aisle above the organ." Unquote. 
with buckets of sand and a stirrup that is a foot-activated water pump. These four firemen versus the apocalypse managed to extinguish these fires. But they were too few and far too undersupplied to stave off the inevitable. Provost Howard continues, quote, Then another shower of incendiaries fell, four of them appearing to strike the roof of the children's chapel above the cathedral's east end. From below, a fire was seen in the ceiling. Above, on the roof, smoke was pouring from three holes, and a fire was blazing through. These were tackled by all four of us at once. With the failing of our supplies of sand, water, and physical strength, however, we were unable to make an impression. The fire gained ground, and finally we had to give in." Unquote. Word quickly spread across Coventry that the cathedral was on fire, and fire trucks, which had been pouring in from all over the English Midlands, were dispatched to the scene. Hoses were run and ladders put up, and for a moment, a brief moment, it seemed as if the cathedral would be saved. But after less than a minute, the hoses ran dry as the water main had been destroyed by a bomb. Provost Howard, crestfallen, recalled, quote, We realized with intense consternation and horror that nothing more could be done. I was on the porch of the police station in St. Mary's Street, along with a dozen of the auxiliary fire service men. Here we could watch the gradual and terrible destruction of the cathedral. The whole interior was a seething mass of flames and piled up of blazing beams and timbers surmounted with dense bronze-colored smoke. Through this could be seen the concentrated blaze caused by the burning of the organ, famous back to the time when Handel played on it. The fire could be seen finding its way from vestry to vestry till they were all ablaze. All night long, the city burned, and her cathedral burned with her." Unquote. Altogether, 449 German bombers participated in the Coventry Raid. They dropped 30,000 incendiary bombs and 1,600 high-explosive bombs on the city. Aftermath. By the next morning, Friday, November 15th, most of Coventry's medieval city center had been either badly damaged or incinerated outright. Of the Coventry Cathedral, only its spire and shell remained. Homes and apartment buildings, theaters, hotels, markets, businesses and office buildings, municipal buildings, houses of worship, banks, much of Coventry University, and the central post office were all as well destroyed. Given that more than 43,800 homes were damaged or destroyed in the raid, the death toll, 568 killed, was mercifully light, though many thousands of people were injured and left homeless. Hey, talk about deep aftermath. Live unexploded bombs continue to be found in Coventry to this day. For example, on Monday, September 21st, 2015, a construction crew uncovered an unexploded 2,000-pound German bomb, a so-called Hermann bomb, named after the German air marshal Hermann Goering. 
The bomb was just yards away from a Coventry University dormitory. It took 28 hours for the bomb to be safely disposed of by a British Army explosives team, putting a major crimp into freshman week there at the university. A newsreel is linked to this podcast, which depicts Coventry the morning after the firebombing on November 15, 1940. Having watched the newsreel, I would give voice to what many, if not most of us, are thinking. How in the name of all that is decent can such scenes as this be playing out once again in Europe, 82 years later? Our hearts bleed and break. The cathedral will rise again. In the linked newsreel, dating from March 23, 1956, Queen Elizabeth II is seen laying the foundation stone of what is to be the new Coventry Cathedral. Even as the remains of Coventry's Cathedral of St. Michael smoldered the morning after the attack, the decision was made to rebuild. The cathedral's destruction and planned reconstruction became a symbol across the UK and beyond. Incredibly and beautifully, it was not a symbol of defiance and revenge, but rather, thanks to Provost Richard Howard, who had so valiantly attempted to save the cathedral only to helplessly stand by and watch it burn, the cathedral's rebirth would be, to quote Provost Howard, a sign of faith, trust, and hope for the future world, unquote. Howard preached forgiveness and reconciliation in his attempt to lead the people of Coventry, quote, away from feelings of bitterness and hatred, unquote. Provost Howard had the words, Father, forgive, inscribed into the wall of the destroyed cathedral directly behind where the altar had been. Soon after, the cathedral's stonemason, Jock Forbes, found that two medieval roof timbers had fallen on the floor of the cathedral in the shape of a cross. He tied those timbers together, and this cross was erected on a pile of rubble where the altar had been, directly in front of the words, Father, forgive. That cross, preserved to this day, is known as the Chard Cross. Another cross came to symbolize the cathedral's spirit of forgiveness and redemption, a cross that grew out of the destruction and eventual reconstruction of the Coventry Cathedral. It is the so-called Coventry Cross of Nails, or simply the Coventry Cross. The Coventry Cross was the brainchild of Reverend Arthur Philip Wales, who walked through the ruins of the cathedral on the morning after the bombing. He picked up a number of large hand-forged medieval carpentry nails. Using wire, he bound three nails together into the shape of a cross, one nail for the vertical and two nails placed head to toe for the cross piece. Such Coventry crosses made from the nails of the destroyed cathedral can be seen today in churches across Europe where they have become symbolic for the spirit of peace and reconciliation that lie at the heart of the Coventry Cathedral. The New Cathedral. 
The new cathedral was designed by the Scottish architect Basil Spence, 1907-1976. Spence's design, for which he was later knighted, was selected in 1950 from over 200 other designs. What made Spence's design special was not just his monumental yet modern vision for the cathedral, but his insistence that the new cathedral be built alongside the ruin of the old cathedral, which became a garden of remembrance. The architect, Basil Spence, constructed the new cathedral from the same red sandstone as the old, quarried at Great Gate in Staffordshire, which effectively unites the two buildings into a single church, symbolic of old and new, of rebirth and redemption. The Music The consecration of the new Cathedral of St. Michael in Coventry on May 25, 1962, was a signal and powerfully symbolic event to be attended by the Queen and the Royal Family, by dignitaries from all over the world, and televised to an international audience. To mark the consecration, a showcase arts festival called the Coventry Cathedral Festival was organized. In keeping with the spirit and principles of the cathedral itself, the festival was intended as, quote, an international symbolic act of reconciliation as well as national celebration, unquote. The capstone and climax of the festival was the premiere of Benjamin Britten's War Requiem, which had been commissioned to mark the consecration. That premiere took place on May 30th, 1962, 60 years ago today, in the new Coventry Cathedral. Benjamin Britten, 1913 to 1976, has been embraced as Britain's greatest composer since Henry Purcell, 1659 to 1695. Britain's War Requiem, which is indeed a first-order masterwork, is arguably his most significant work. When we reconvene in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post, it will be with Benjamin Britten and his lifelong pacifism, a pacifism that put him completely in tune with the redemptive spirit of the cathedral, the specifics of his war requiem, and the recommended slash prescribed recording. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.